We're in the fifth week this morning of a sermon series through the book of Philippians. It's the New Testament letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Philippi that he had planted. Um, And we've been going through a little at a time. We're going to be up to verses 20 to 26. But to set the context, I'm going to start at the very beginning. I'm just going to read from Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through to verse 26. And so I'll put it up on the screen if you want to follow along. Or if you brought a Bible, you can follow along as well. Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now this next section is the section for today. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. This is God's word. Let me pray before we continue. Father, we pray that you would open our ears and open our hearts. Help us to hear and to understand what this means. Help us to apply this to our lives today, that you might be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we were reading through, you found out in verse 13 that Paul's writing this, prison, this letter from prison. He's been unjustly imprisoned, uh, accused of inciting an insurrection, insurrection or rebellion. 
So he's been put in a Roman jail, and he's writing this letter from jail to the Philippians, encouraging them that even though he's in jail, God is still at work for good things. And he doesn't know if he's going to get out or not. He doesn't know if he's going to die, if he's going to be executed, or if he'll make it out and be able to see them again. And so in this passage that we just read, he goes back and forth between the two options. If I'm going to live or if I'm going to die, what is that going to mean? And in verse 21, he concludes with this stirring thesis statement. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. My life, Paul declares, is about Jesus. As long as I'm living, it's about Jesus. He is the heart, the motivation. It's what it's all about. It's about Jesus. My life is in him. And to die is gain. If I'm to die, it's not just this tragedy. It's going to be gain in some way. To live is Christ to die is gain. This is such a powerful belief to have as you walk through life that can just completely transform the way you view life and death. To live is Christ and to die is gain. So I want to talk this morning, why is this outlook on life so powerful? What are the three reasons I'm going to share today? Why it's so powerful to have this outlook on life, to live is Christ, to die is gain. The first reason is this. It gives us a purpose that death cannot take away. To go through life with this belief, to live as Christ and to die as gain, gives you a purpose that life, that death cannot take away. His thesis statement and the way he phrases it really raises the question for you to reflect on this morning. How would you complete this sentence? For to me, to live is what? Maybe it's something you haven't even reflected on. At the core of your life, your motivation, what you're doing every day, why you get up in the morning, what's the core of it? What are you living for? To me, to live is what? Maybe you say, for me to live is family. That the most important thing in my life is my family. It's it's marriage, it's kids, it's brothers and sisters, it's parents, whatever it may be, for me to live as family. That is the reason I work to support my family. That is the reason I get out of bed in the morning. That is the reason I do what I do is for my family. Maybe it's pleasure for you. For to me, to live is pleasure. It's to get the most out of life, to enjoy every moment that I can. The reason I work is to make money so that I can spend it on what I enjoy. I want to travel. I want to buy toys. I want to live it up until the day that I die. Maybe it's a career. For to me, to live is, it's my career. It's my job. That is my passion. That's what I want to give my waking hours to, to rise to the top of my profession. For to me, to live is my career, to be the best teacher or doctor or accountant I can be. Maybe for some of you, to to me, to live, it's my honor. It's my reputation. That is what's most important, is that people would see me in a certain way, as a good man or a good woman, as an important person, as a powerful person, as a man of God, as a woman of God. Whatever it might be, what's most important to me is the image that I portray and the way that people see me. Or maybe it's love. For to me, to live is love. Everything boils down to that. I want to live with someone who loves me, that I love, that I share life with. 
And if I find myself with someone who the love has faded, well, then I'll find someone else to love that loves me. For to me, to live is love. It could be any of those things. It could be any number of other things. A hobby, personal glory, comfort, money. What is it for you? If you really stopped and thought about it, and you had to answer that question, for to me to live is what? What do you get out of bed for in the morning? What drives you? Why do you do what you do? Here's the incredible thing about Paul's thesis statement that to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you substitute anything else for Christ in this line here, then you can't say with confidence the second part of the statement, to die is gain, right? If you're living for anything else, then to die is loss. If what you're living for is your family, then to die is loss because every time a family member dies, you're losing someone. And then when you die, you've lost connection with them. If you're living for a career, again, you can't take that with you. To die is loss. If it's your honor, it's your reputation, it's your health, it's whatever it may be, whatever you're living for, to die is not gain, but loss. And so death is not something to be looked forward to, as Paul does, it seems. It's something to be feared. It's something to be avoided. It's something to be put off for as long as possible because death is loss. Death breaks up whatever it is that you're living for, puts an end to it. But for Paul, he says, to live is Christ. And because I'm living for Jesus, that means that to die is gain. Because I'm living for him, and then when I die, I will have him. I will be with him forever. So whether I live or die, it's Christ. I'm not saying that family is a bad thing, right? To love family, or to love love, or to love career, or reputation, any of those things. I'm not saying at all that those are bad things. I'm saying that if those things are your life, you're in trouble. Because to die, then, is loss. There's a way of loving family and career and all of those things in a way that doesn't lose them in that way, that doesn't put you in danger. And it's when Christ is your life. And then I can love my family because it's a gift from Christ. I can do well at my job because it's a gift from Jesus. But I'm not living for those things. I'm living for Christ. The things that I'm seeking are not going to be found in family and in Glory and the, my reputation or career, any of those things that are going to be found in Jesus. C.S. Lewis put it this way in The Weight of Glory, which is an essay some of us are reading and discussing on Sunday evenings. He said this. It's a deep thought, so be ready to listen closely to this. He said that books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them. It only came through them, and what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire, but if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. What's he saying there? Listen, read that through one more time on your own. I think he's saying here, there is something beautiful about family, about 
pleasure, about a good career. There's something that's beautiful about those things, but what it is that is beautiful is, is actually coming through those things, he says. It's not in those things. That if you trust yourself to the family, the career, all those things, they will break your heart in the end. To die will be loss. But what it is is something that's coming through those. It's, it's Christ. It's God. It's something behind that. The beauty is coming through those things. Those things are meant to point us to the giver of those good things. The love for family is meant to point us to the one who gave us family, who will give us family forever. The purpose that we feel, the joy we feel in doing something that is meaningful, again, it's found in Christ and he entrusts this to us for a season. But if we trust in these things in this world, he says, it'll break our hearts. To die will be loss. For to me, Paul says, to live is Christ. And what that means is that to die will be gain. The one I'm living for will be mine forever. And so the first thing that this means for us is that we, will, we can have a purpose that death cannot take away. Anything else you live for in this world, death will shatter it. But to live is Christ and to die is gain. The second beautiful thing about this belief is that there is no fear of death then. Again, he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. This is incredible. This is Paul recognizing that I have nothing to fear when it comes to death. Because death will give me what it is I've been living for. I'm living my life for Jesus. And I know him now in part. But then when I die, I'll be with him forever. And I will have the joy and the love and the peace and the beauty and all of the things that my hearts have longed for. I'll have it forever. To die will be gain. It's not something I have to fear anymore. Now, it's very important. I don't think Paul has a death wish here, right? This is not like an unhealthy longing for death. And sometimes I think people love this verse because they might have an unhealthy longing for death and an escapist view of life, you know, just, just this world is so hard, I just want to die, go be with Jesus. It's not that. He's, he sees both as valuable. To live as Christ, as long as I'm here, I'm going to serve him with all of my heart and my ability. I'm not just going to curl up and wait to die. But I also know that to die is gain. And I'm not going to fear death. I'm not afraid. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 to 15 says this, since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. It's a beautiful passage right there. That Jesus took on our humanity, died in our place to free us from the one who holds the power of death so that we do not have to be afraid anymore. In case you're unfamiliar with, with some of the things that the Bible says about death and the life after death, let me just share a few passages with you that'll help to illustrate, I think, why Paul is not afraid to die. 1 Corinthians 13, 9 through 13. Paul writes this, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. 
I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. He uses all these analogies to say, this is what it's like here. We see like in a mirror dimly. We see in part. But then on that day, I will see him face to face. I'll be fully known. And it will be love. No more need for faith. No more need for hope. Because we will have him. And we will live where there's love forever. Romans 8, 19 to 23. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought it to the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Anyone wake up and groan this morning? So this is the way it is. Creation is groaning, and we groan as we wait for that day when we will be made new, when sin and, and, and decay will be no more, when this world will be made new, and there will be no more decay, no more death, none of that anymore. Revelation 21, 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. And be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Starting to understand why Paul is saying to die is gain. No more suffering, no more death, no more crying. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 57. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord, Jesus Christ. Now notice, again, that last sentence there. This is not just a promise for everyone. This is a promise, it says, 
for those who trust in Jesus Christ. That Jesus has overcome sin and death. And now this is promised to those who have put their trust in him. As Jesus said in John eleven twenty five to 26, to Martha at the tomb of Lazarus, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And John three sixteen to 18, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. These are the words of Jesus. These are not my words. And he has the audacity to say that your eternal life and destiny depends upon how you respond to him and whether or not you trust in him. Do you trust in him this morning? If you do, you do not need to fear death. All of these promises are yours forever. It's going to be far better than this life. Jesus died on that cross to make you right with God, to offer you a way to come into a right relationship with him, to have eternal life. And if your purpose, your reason for living is anything in this world, then to die is loss because you lost whatever it is you're living for. But if the heart of what you are living for is Jesus Christ, then to die is gain. If your life is about him and living for God, then to die is gain because all of this is yours forever. Last thing I want to say, to live as Christ and to die as gain, a purpose that death cannot take away, no fear of death, and a life of eternal significance. Again, life is more than just going to heaven, dying and go to heaven. If that was the case, you'd put your faith in Jesus and he'd beam you up, right? And that would be it. But he keeps you here for a reason, right? You put your faith in Jesus and you're still here. You're still here for a reason. And Paul recognized that. He's going back and forth between life and death. And he says, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. I'm torn between the two. I'd love to be with Jesus. It'd be better by far. But he has not saw fit to beam me up, to take me home. I'm still here. And so if I'm still here, he says, that will mean fruitful labor for me. It's better for you that I remain in the body. I'm still here for a reason. And that reason is you, he says. It's to serve you. It's to love you. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. In other words, it's not that you're saved by your good works. God does not need those good works. You're still here to do good works for your neighbor. As long as he hasn't taken you home, he's got a purpose for you. That purpose is to love your neighbor as he has loved you. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10 puts it well. Paul says, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay, right there. 
God doesn't need your good works to save you. It's by the gift of God's grace given in Jesus Christ and his death for you. But then he goes on to say, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So your good works aren't saving you, but you're still made new in Jesus Christ to do good works, to love your neighbor as yourself, to serve your neighbor, to point them to Jesus by the way you love. You've each been given a vocation, a calling, a gifts and a purpose by God. First Peter 4.10, each one should use whatever gift that he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Do you understand that, that you have each been given gifts by God? You've each been shaped in a certain way to do good works for your neighbor, to love whoever it is God has put in your path, family, friends, coworkers. It's not to save you. It's not to somehow earn points with God. It is to love as he has loved you, to point people to Jesus. So how has God shaped you and how has God gifted you? This could be a really good acronym. Learned this one from Saddleback Church out in California. It's a good acronym to help you think through how God has shaped you, how God has created you and gifted you. S, for spiritual gifts, that there are things when you come to faith and his Holy Spirit gives you gifts that bring blessing to you and blessing to others, whether they are gifts of administration or giving or teaching or whatever it may be. H could be for heart. What is it that you're passionate about? A, for abilities, not spiritual gifts, but just natural abilities that he's given you. P, for personality, that he's shaped you in such a way that you will connect with some people that I might not or that others might not. And E, experience, the things that you've been through that give you some weight to what you share, that you can speak into people's lives in a way that I can't because of your experience. It's a good way of just thinking through how God has shaped you, how he might use you to minister to others, to to bless others. Everything that you do in the name of Jesus matters eternally. That's the beautiful thing about to live as Christ, to die as gain, to know that everything we do in the name of Jesus matters eternally. It's not just you die and then that's it. And in 100 years, no one will remember that you ever lived. And what difference did you make anyways? No, every single thing you do in the name of Jesus matters eternally. Matthew 10, 42, Jesus says, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. It's a beautiful verse. Every single little thing that you do for another person in the name of Jesus, he says, matters eternally. Whatever that reward means, I have no idea, but it matters eternally. And so Paul says, At the end of 1 Corinthians 15, as he's talking about the importance of the resurrection, he ends by saying this, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He says, because of the resurrection, because there's life after death, everything you do matters eternally. So give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Or as Bruce Milne put it, every kingdom work 
whether publicly performed or privately endeavored, partakes of the kingdom's imperishable character. Every honest intention, every stumbling word of witness, every resistance of temptation, every motion of worship, every struggle towards obedience, every mumbled prayer, everything literally which flows out of our faith, relationship with the ever-living one, will find its place in the ever-living heavenly order which will dawn at his coming. Let that encourage you. It's not just about going overseas and preaching the gospel somewhere in Africa, but it's about every single thing that you do in the name of Jesus. Matters eternally. To live as Christ and to die as gain. Because of Jesus, we have a purpose that death cannot take away. We do not have to fear death, and our lives have eternal significance. Let me close with the words of J.I. Packer. He said this, Hearts on earth may say in the course of a joyful experience, I don't want this ever to end, but invariably it does. The hearts of those in heaven say, I want this to go on forever, and it will. There's no better news than this. Let's pray. Help us, Lord, to have that same mindset that Paul had, that to live as Christ and to die as gain. That first and foremost, our primary motivation would be to know you, to honor you, and to live for you. Lord, help us to not fear death, but to see it for what it is. It's a passageway into eternal life where we'll be with you forever. Help us to give ourselves fully to work that matters eternally in every little thing that we do, to love our neighbor in a way that points them to you, in a way that brings you glory. Thank you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.